0: good morning i'm your host claudia shamba welcoming you to the october 4 2016 edition of ask a leader well so far we've avoided some major quakes over the weekend we've received many firm warnings from all the seismic experts lucy jones man she's she was all over the place with her frustration so if you haven't taken those emergency measures yet with food and water supply batteries, full gas tanks, small bills, et cetera, et cetera, go to your emergency preparedness website and find out what you haven't done yet because you're gonna want to have everything in place when the shake shakes. If then today is a good day also to get on to that. So today begins my exclusive 2016 general election coverage with local candidates and some statewide measures. On this program, my guests will be Melissa Fox, City Council candidate for Irvine, Letitia Clark, City Council candidate in Tustin, and Courtney Santos, City Council candidate in Irvine. They'll have a great deal to tell us. Hunker down with us while we race through a lot of local public policy. We'll be right back after a really short station break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. This is Claudia Shambaugh, and I want to make sure everybody that I got my sample bowed in the mail yesterday. I think most of us are starting to get them in by now. And uh, start marking that little puppy up. Start meeting with your friends and respected sources on. The What's up? What's at stake at this election? My first guest is Irvine Commissioner Melissa Fox. Melissa Fox is Irvine City Community Service Commissioner. She's a graduate of Brandeis University. Some of you have already heard this before. She's been on the show before in many capacities. And she's also a graduate of the Tulane University School of Law. She's a member of the Bars of the State of California and United States Tax Court. She's affiliated with the Orange County Bar Association, the Orange County Bar Association Litigation Section and Trust and Estate Section, the Orange County Trial Lawyers Association, the Orange County Women Lawyers Association Lawyers Club of San Diego, and Women in Leadership. She first ran for the California State Assembly in 2010, and she was 210 votes away from beating an incumbent in the last general election in 2014. She resides in the North Park Square community and joins me once again in studio. Welcome back to the show, Melissa Fox. Good morning, Claudia. Always a joy to be here. Well, we've got to race through it. Let's talk about the master plan, the village concept, the mix of development. All of that is driving the pain people feel with The transportation—that's a mouthful. Let's run with that. Sure.
1: Well, that is a lot, and that is what is on everybody's list to talk about. The master plan uh, was developed for Irvine back before the 1970s. It it, uh, has been modified quite a lot since that time. Uh, The basics are that it provides for a village model, so that people are within. 1 mile of the amenities that they need so that they don't have to go too far and it also allows each each community to have its own flavor its own style and it has been very very popular very successful so each school each neighborhood has its own schools has its own parks and for example Woodbridge is a terrific example of that very very walkable community as we have built out the northern sections of our community, we've gotten away from that. For example, not putting a grocery store
0: in Portola Hills and pushing all that traffic down to Cypress Village and Woodbury. Oh, that's a lot of traffic. And the master plan is a thoughtful document. It's not an ad hoc kind of a change in a, an ad hoc negotiation or the lack thereof of sort of a, 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 a entitlement without the negotiation. So uh, this is something that we take seriously in terms of a thoughtful, contemplative vision of what goes in the ground so we know that the infrastructure is provided providing for those needs of that general area because of the impact we're talking about, transportation. Right. it is
1: subject to being amended, which right, is Right, right. Can also can be a good thing but it can also be a problem and two of the problems, major problems one is transportation and removing the center line, which was always a part of the master plan. um and and the people of Irvine voted, and they said they didn't want a center line or light rail going through the community. But uh, there's no alternative. So we didn't put in any additional streetcar. We didn't put in any uh, boosting of the eye shuttle. So once we got away from a major component of transportation, took it out, we did not um, put anything in. To provide for transportation across our city, so it, it takes it out of balance. Another problem where we've gotten away from the master plan is the Irvine Business
0: Community the I, uh, Complex, the IBC, which so, is bound this between the airport and Jamboree. Well, and let's see, and uh Harvard.
1: Well, if you think about the area, it's centered by you know Alton, Maine, uh, Jamboree. Yes. Uh, one of the issues that we had there was that we always planned to have multifamily, but it was going to be mixed use so we can't put a grocery store into the buildings now because it's filled with residents who don't want late night deliveries whereas if we did it at the time that it was being built it would be something that they would understand and accept as a consequence of
0: living in that area Melissa when was those that would approve that development order because we um, because I think a lot of people want to know where to draw the line of which incumbents are responsible for which entitled development orders that all these structures that are really feeding a lot of traffic now without the mix of uses that would have otherwise minimized that right those trips
1: well there's been a lot of change over the years but i think the most significant change that you can see is there was a presentation on the master plan before the city council just this past year and um it shows that beginning in 2010 well as we've been developing, we've always had a growth curve or a growth chart where residents ha- residential growth has matched commercial growth. But in 2010, you see a sharp rise in the residential growth and a sharp decline in commercial as they tend on the chart to go toward each other rather than growing in tandem. So that has been the big change in the history of Irvine. So it's really not one particular decision or one particular amendment. It, you see that there is a philosophical uh, well, that there was a an actual change that I believe was based on a philosophical
0: change that took place in twenty ten. And the we it was a lovely uh, opportunity to hear candidates at the student center at the ballroom last Thursday. I think we were stiffed a few public policy concerns. Um well, talk, we're talking about this mix and all that. I want to make sure everybody has a chance to think about it. Uh, it's I don't think it's getting any coverage. The consequence of Irvine being on the international real estate market. We know that Five Point Communities is posting the sales of his properties up in uh, the newly annexed areas of town in Be- Beijing kiosks. It's an international market. How do we reconcile mm-hmm. that marketing with, uh, any kind of affordable stock to to, to pin down and to maintain? Well, is it possible? Is a, that's a load of questions. So let's start with the
1: international marketing.
0: Irvine is specifically
1: well-positioned to take advantage of the brain drain in China. And we are getting an influx of just oh, the some whole of the, Pacific Rim, actually. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just some of the best and brightest people coming to Irvine and able to, you know, open their businesses, be, begin their investments here in Irvine and start a new life. And so we're getting some of the most courageous people. And this is specifically a very, very American idea. And Irvine's just poised to grow and take advantage of all of that. Now, the housing stock is something that really has to be managed carefully because we are, uh, there is an affor- uh, a housing shortage, but most specifically an affordable housing shortage. So we have to take advantage of, of this opportunity in providing uh, residences that are on the more affordable scale rather than building more estate housing, which is what we've done. Now, another issue has to do with the issue of transportation. And when you're putting in a multifamily unit, it needs to be tied into the transportation grid in something other than the, uh, just specifically the automobile. Right. We have one of the busiest train stations in the state of California, yet when you get here, we don't have the ability to get anywhere from the train. The Great Park isn't connected to the train. And we also have the opportunity to increase areas of choice for uh, public transportation, like iShuttle, like ride sharing, van pools. There's just a lot of great things that we can do in addition to infill being done by the shared transportation economy with Uber and Lyft.
0: So, um I'm but we've got the the brain drain, but we also have capital that wants to so it's it's not bringing the brain drain, it's bringing capital in. It's maybe a an, a UCI student whose parents from Shanghai they're buying the house. it's there's a lot of capital trying to find a market and it's finding it here, and so that's what i'm I'm actually a little overwhelmed with thinking of how we can and we uh, maintain some kind of reasonably affordable stock and that the put it this way that the um, recent two administrations on the city council have not taken an opportunity to leverage an a, a percentage of new development orders to commit the developer to some affordable housing stock in there the the city council has tremendous leverage and that's a, that's another whole topic is that how that leverage is better used than it has been in the last well, four years. I can
1: tell you what I've done on the Community Services Commission. Yes. Uh, the state legislator has provided an opportunity for something called a density bonus, right. which um, I have voted for every single time, which is giving the developer a dollar uh, dollar to dollar uh, increase in um, Units credit for, for park, park fees. All right based on their affordable housing and every time they bring an affordable housing proposal in front of me I always ask is this what category of affordable housing and, and what do you find out it, we have done a good job in lower and uh, very and low income yes so I've the been fellow very...
0: appointees are with you on that absolutely okay. absolutely
1: we have we have reached a consensus on the Community Services Commission that we do need more affordable units now That does. I don't have the ability to impact the number of or the percentages that are being put into the multifamily units that are coming before us, but every opportunity I've had to support it, I have. And I've stated very clearly that the affordable issues are extremely important, particularly in the senior communities. We have people who are um, who've been in Irvine since 1971, 1972, and we want to make sure that first through community development block grants. They have the ability to keep their properties up, but also if they want to move into a, or downsize into an affordable unit, that they can stay in Irvine. And that also ties into transportation. Right. We have a great trips program that we need to expand. And again, we need to expand the eye shuttle to make it more usable.
0: So that, that senior selling their house, moving in another one, that puts them in a new sort of a, a property... The tax increment, and it's a, that that unit has increased in value markedly. So I, is it realistic for them to be able to move, though? It's going to be situation to situation. They're not situation. downsizing. They're upgrading their mortgage payment. Well, it
1: depends situation to situation. Yeah. I mean, if people who've owned property in Irvine for a long time have done well, and we've, as being part of a master plan community, we've been able to keep our price prices stable. The problem is when we're building in these major estate areas we're not having the general mix of housing levels that we've had in other communities the way we've built out our communities in the past has always been we have um, a diversity of economic housing stock so you would have an apartment you would have a townhouse you would have condominiums as well as single-family residences and maybe a portion of gated or estate housing we're not seeing that mix um, as well
0: as we have in the past so that makes us a, a ball we ought to be keeping our eyes on as you're campaigning as we were talking just in advance of the interview here. You're saying the eyes are on the, the lane where the person is driving or in what kind of potholes there are, what kind of traffic, uh, what level of service traffic they're, they're struggling with. But they, it's helpful for everyone to understand what these mic- macro decisions are that create the problems that, are, that people are suffering in.
1: Right. And and as I've been talking to people around the city, it's really great to be able to get out and, and oh, walk yeah. and knock uh, on doors in different neighborhoods and understand what the, each community's concerns are. Um uh, we see I see a lot of uh difficulty with biking around Irvine because of construction because their uh regional trails have been blocked or um connections have not been made. So I think focusing on making Irvine's uh terrific bike infrastructure function better is very very important for the transportation quotient so I do have a lot of people talking about the big issues of traffic and and the pace of growth but just as uh, important are people who are interested in street sweeping, people who are interested in a specific left turn lane and increasing uh, the safety of their own neighborhood. So it's a very much a city council, grassroots. You know, we need a park bench here. We need more seating at this park. We need more shade at this park. Very, very um, community-based issues.
0: Uh, it's a very yeah. nano question, though. If We're going to encourage bicycling, which uh, I'm, I can't stop. Championing that choice in transportation, we need to make sure every landowner or lessee has bike racks. I'm, I drove, I rode my bike to an unnamed hotel for a conference Friday, and uh, I wheeled my bike into the coat check. There was no place to park it outside. Right, and so that was, was that the chasing. That it?
1: was the first thing that actually my my teenage son talked to me about when i was on the community services commission and that's something i have also championed is more safer bike racks and bike racks that are not in the back of a building where you can get your bike stolen um i've also talked with some of our um, mall owners about a bike valet so especially for the higher end and so that you can come and go to i've seen i've gone to lunch with a lawyer who's met me you know at and he's like uh locked his bike to a palm tree you know we really have to have more bike friendly infrastructure and bike racks are a huge part of that
0: okay well that's that's on the list of to do's
1: and it's not so much a nano it's really letting people know that this is uh, an incentive and providing them an ease of use so that figuring out where you're going to put your bike when you're done with it is a very important part of that puzzle
0: so i and i i don't mind telling the uh, it's usually the door person or so, some some service sector employee and I say, you know, let's let's think of the let's be forward thinking here. This is the 21st century. Let's 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 get ahead of the game and let's provide. Yeah, well, those.
1: it was pretty funny. I actually went to a meeting at Shimano, right, who makes oh, bike gears, what? and uh, there was nowhere for me to put my bike. I had to leave it at the front desk. I thought a bike company, and there's nowhere I don't in understand the
0: headquarters for me to put my bike. Boy, you've been shamed here on the radio show, guys. Wow. Well, what more do? You, components would you like to tell us in your transportation plan? Because I want to give us a real infrastructure discussion for people because I want to raise the level of awareness of what can be done because we sure we hear that, and I mean, it was the big p- piece of the debate. If there was any public policy right. takeaway last right. Thursday,
1: well, and I thought it was really interesting that people were talking very much about traffic and not a lot about specifics. No, and I understand it's a very complex problem. It has a lot of pieces. Well, this is to when it. you
0: talk about it, those right. complexities.
1: <laughs> so we need to offer more choices, and that would include uh, biking, walking, ice shuttle, ride sharing, and streetcar. And a very important piece would be student transportation to Irvine schools it has become a free-for-all at many of our campuses in the morning so we need to fight for our fair share of transportation funds from the Orange County Transit Association so I've talked about streetcar and a trolley Westminster excuse me Garden Grove and Anaheim are getting these funds we need to fight for our own fair share particularly since we voted to remove the light rail from our transportation options um, and and I haven't seen anyone doing that. I would want to do that as part of my, as fr- on the city council. Another issue is fighting to keep the village model going so that we have short, people can go within their own communities for their own amenities. Um, and the concrete steps are pushing through the current transportation projects that we have going now and making sure that they're done as fast as possible. Uh, let me see, another issue that I don't think we got to is um,
0: well, I, so let's give you a chance to either analyze the recent decisions or project your dynamism that you would offer to the city council to negotiate more, that, the leverage more out of the next development orders so that as usually seasoned applicants for development, they always say it, they get a better project when they negotiate with the, the authority from which they're getting the, uh, the, the permit. And so uh, would you like to either evaluate how they did as we're wrapping and the, uh, the last four years of negotiation or uh, what you would propose to do to raise the level of sophistication in garnering the best possible terms for the next development order? Well, we have some big challenges
1: in front of us, um, specifically with the 100 acres that the county is moving to develop around the Great Park. That's going to be increasing uh, our traffic by tens of thousands of of trips that we did not anticipate, being that it was formerly thought of as a government-use space. So as we're moving forward to uh, deal with these traffic mitigation issues. I'll tell you my background for the past 25 years is is as an attorney and reading contracts. And one of the biggest problems I've had with the contracts we've made with developers is that they're unenforceable. I mean, if you put in... Term that says uh, will not be a breach if we, if it's, uh, will not be a material breach if we have a good reason for it. And then we have to litigate to determine whether or not there was a good reason. It's almost as if there's no contract. So I'll tell you, I'm going to be bringing my 25 years of advocacy to bear for the residents of Irvine in negotiating with our partners in development, our uh, major developers, the Five Point Communities and the Irvine Company.
0: So let's wrap this whole thing up with who was providing you with the major component of your financial support in your campaign?
1: Wow. Well, about 300 residents of Irvine, um, primarily people who live and work in the city of Irvine and people who uh, are interested in our growth and uh, slowing down the pace of growth. They don't have uh, pe- major donors from outside the area. It's, it's all, you know, moms and pops, mostly
0: okay. small business owners. Well, Melissa Fox, it's been a pleasure to get some more learning curves addressed here with our public policy understanding of municipal government. I am going to be bringing on two more guests today, so I know you have more to say, and so we'll try to post any of the upcoming forums where. Oh, candidates, well, yes, October fifteenth, Octo- the South Coast Chinese Cultural
1: Association is having a debate. I believe it begins at ten a.m. Okay, and the South Coast, and that is Nine Truman.
0: Oh, right. Okay. The Chinese school. Okay.
1: Uh, October 15th,
0: which is a Saturday, begins at 10 a.m. All right, folks. Then we have that forum opportunity. Well, thank you for coming in studio with me. That was Melissa Fox, Irvine City Council candidate today. We'll be right back after I get dialed up. Uh, Miss Letitia Clark, stay tuned.
1: In the merry month of May, from my home, I started the love- a twam nearly broken how to saluted father dear. Kissed my darling mother. I drank a pint of fear, my grief, and tears to smother the knob. To
0: reap the corn leave where I was
1: born. Cut a stout like to banish goes and goblin, brand new pair of rogues. Tratlin all the books, frightened all the dogs on the rocky road to Dublin. One, two,
0: three, four, five, hunt the hare and turn her down. That was Rocky Road to dublin and that's sport of tricks they're a local uh, retiree crowd male mailman among them so my next guest here welcoming back uh, to ask a leader is latisha clark she is a candidate for the tustin city council and uh, I'm on, she's joining us are, are you in costa mesa today you know what i'm still in tustin so you're still in Tustin. Still okay. In the city <laughs> so miss yeah, latisha clark is a candidate for the tustin city council she is an orange county native and graduate of tustin high school currently employed as the district director of public affairs marketing and government relations for the coast community college district Letitia clark's professional career also includes executive director for the american academy of pediatrics orange county chapter government affairs director for the new orleans metropolitan association of realtors a government relations manager for the american red cross and a legislative aide to both the georgia general assembly and the new orleans city council she's a long record of community involvement includes serving on the Tustin Community Foundation Board, Tustin Street Fair Committee, and the Tustin Unified School District's Superintendent Council. She's the founder of the Black Professionals in Orange County and Lean In OC. She also serves as board member of the Rays Foundation Young Professional Board and the Friendship Baptist Church's Young Adult Council. She completed her Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Public Administration at Xavier University, Louisiana, her master's in public policy at New England College, and a credential at Harvard University's JFK School of Government. On the Orange County Register's radar, as she's one of 16 people to watch in 2016. Ms. Clark is the proud mother of eight-year-old twins. She, as she said, she comes to us from Tustin this morning. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Letitia Clark.
2: Thanks, Claudia. That was quite an intro. Thank you so much.
0: Well, you know the secret is everybody. The intros, much of it comes from the the, the person who just said thank you for the intro. <laughs> but we t- we try to tease it around and uh, kind yeah, of uh, make it ours. So you're so gracious, I can tell you're in the marketing and public affairs uh, slips. So, Tustin. Bordering yes. Irvine on the north and shares with Irvine the Orange County Supervisorial District number three. It's serving a wide income distribution from low, moderate income rental properties in the southern portion to the high income residences along the eastern and northeastern portions. How's mm-hmm. Tustin served in the Orange County Third District?
2: So uh, Todd Spitzer is our representative on the, the Board of Supervisors, um, but you know, Tustin, we're, we're still considered a small city. We're right under 100,000 people uh, within Tustin. We're um, about 80,000, close to 80,000 population-wise. Our median income is about 75,000 a family. And uh, believe it or not, we actually have a pretty large Hispanic uh, population, Latino population, right a, closer to 30%, uh, which some people don't um, always know. But it's very diverse in, in Tustin and uh like you said i I went to high school in this area and so i've seen the city change a lot but um it's it's a great place it does feel like a small town in a lot of areas but we're growing and we're one of those rare cities that has a little room to grow with the um the military the marine bases no longer being uh, active that's all all of that land uh, is now kind of up for grabs, so to speak, for uh, developers or new businesses, new homes, and so we're one of those rare cities in Orange County that still has some room to grow. So there are there's lots of room to grow
0: both in those. Uh, unimproved areas and there's the overlay district and the redevelopment scheme downtown. Would you Mm -hmm. tell us, what is your vision? Where do you want to steer that redevelopment overlay with land uses and the infrastructure to service everybody in there and the
2: abutters? Yeah, well, I think we need to be very thoughtful about that. And because we do have a unique opportunity to do some growing, I think, uh, we don't need to be hasting decisions. There, there is some already. There's already some plans in place. However, um, there are a few issues that um, current residents see in the area. Parking is a huge, huge issue in some areas where there's high density and, um, you know, you want to be able to provide homes and, and quality places to live for families here in Tustin. The schools are great here in Teston, so families want to move to this area so that their kids can go to, you know, high-quality public schools. However, we have to make sure that we're providing enough green space so that people are not on top of each other, that there's great recreational um areas for them and that they still have um, room to be able to function uh, within their neighborhood. So we want to pay very close attention to density and also acknowledge the parking issues that are currently going on in a lot of our neighborhoods um we also want to make sure and you know affordable housing can sometimes be not the most favorable word um in some communities but we really want to talk about increasing um housing for not only the families that that live here now in tustin but we want to attract people like me who went to school here in the area and they want to move back with their families so many of the homes here in Tustin are really priced out of a young professional's you know, ability to, to pay for a home. And so we don't want them to have to result to moving further and further out. Um, we, we want people to be able to come back to Tustin, um, current residents, their kids and their grandkids, so they can come back and, and raise a family here in Tustin. So we have to be very mindful about the types of housing that we're building so that they are – priced in a range that a young professional, a young young family can afford it. Um, so we have to think about those things. Uh, there's also some some room, I think, to invite and um, really reach out to businesses that will provide jobs in the area. You know, we really want to support small businesses, but we also need to think um, on a larger scale, what businesses can we attract to Tustin that are going to provide jobs? So it will achieve a few things. We... Um, cut down on the commute that people have to make from Tustin to other areas. So that may help with not having to have four or five cars, you know, per household um, so that people (sighs) are closer. And also so that that money that they're making right here in the city of Tustin goes right back into the economy. There used to be this saying, well, there still is a saying in Tustin as you're leaving uh, Tustin. It's um, kind of on a, on, you know, one of those marquee signs and it says, uh, you know, Live and shop in Tustin, you know, work work where you must, but live and shop in Tustin. And for a long time, everyone really loved that saying, but that saying needs to evolve. You know, we want you to live, shop, and work in Tustin. We want to be a city that can cater to all of the needs in your life. We have jobs here. We have great shopping and retail. There's great recreation, and you can also live here. And so um, that's really what I'm thinking, that we want to evolve that saying, and we want to move uh, from just being a small town and uh, the best kept secret in in, the, in Orange County to really being a premier, innovative city that can cater to not only our seniors and and people that have lived here for thirty and forty years, but people who grew up here that they can move back here with their young families and and really thrive and and carry on the next generation of of Tustinites.
0: So those are those are our general kinds of projections. Can you? give us an idea you're, let's say hypothetically as a you're, you're serving on a city council right now mm-hmm. and how you would address the concerns of the uh, budding property owners the residences uh, the, the residents who are accustomed to the small town feel who are watching what's going on in the overlay of redeveloping a higher density how are you going to reconcile the need to up the business anti-diversify uh, the, the uses within the overlay district and show that you're adding value to the abutting residents?
2: Sure. Um, there's a current project going on right now um, in the Old Town area. It's um, a few acres, maybe six acres of land, um, and it's in an, in the Old Town Uh, the the old town is abutting this area, but it's been zoned industrial. So the planning commission just uh, approved to send it to the council for this area to be rezoned uh, for a planned community. And so they're planning to build 140 units of um, mixed condo and single family. And this would bring more families to the old town area so they would be able to Uh, Support the businesses um, in that old town area, and then the homes are somewhat affordably priced because they're mixed with townhomes and and single family. Um, So this is a good example of how you might be able to repurpose some space um, in the area, and that's one part. However, the old town area, like you're mentioning, they're fearful and very cautious about new development in the area, how it's going to impact their everyday lives, and. With traffic the environment parking and I think what the City Council or the Planning Commission did not do well um, with bringing on this new project is that they didn't inform the community you know ahead of time and they brought them on very late in the game and so they they saw a lot of opposition and I think that people if they don't know about something if residents don't know what's going on they're going to be very um, opposed to things and so I I feel like as far as working with the current residents and bringing new development on, you have to include them in every part of the process. You have to bring them along, explain how this will be better for the next generations to come, explain how this will be better for businesses and for the economy. But you can't do it with an an overarching arm. You have to bring them along. You have to think – collaboration, you have to think transparency, you have to think buy-in on the front end. And I feel like in my career, my professional career and my volunteer work, bringing the community along first has always been top of mind for me. So, uh, you know, compared to my opponents who have had jobs in the private sector only, my my perspective is going to be much different. So I'm not saying that I wouldn't, I I would be in favor of, of a lot of new development. I would be in favor of um, promoting businesses and promoting the economy. But what would be different with me is that community is going to be first and top of mind first, bringing them along, including them in the process, letting them have some input on the look and the feel of some of the new homes and the new developments, Um, making sure that they have a good understanding of how do we work together with community policing so that crime is not an issue for everyone? How do we work together and Uh, smart solutions for parking transportation does that mean that we uh, designate a parking lot or a parking structure Mm -hmm. in one part of the town and we start operating trolleys or different uh, buses along the old town area so that people can take those types of trolleys from one parking structure to their neighborhood Um, but but you have to have that buy-in in in, in order to really bring the entire community along and without that there will always kind of be that nimby feeling you know not in my backyard because people will, if they don't know about something, if they don't feel included, um, they're, they're going to oppose it every time. So I think if the city has currently seen any of that opposition and the pushback from growing into a bigger city, um, it's because they haven't been as transparent as possible. Now, they've always followed the letter of the law. They've done the required notices. But sometimes, for especially for a city like this, that does have a very strong That's uh, a connection distinct. with yes. the city. They they need to they need earlier. They need to be brought right. in earlier, and they need to really be included um, much more than you know what's required.
0: For those of you who just joined us, this is Ask a Leader. My guest on this portion of the show is Ms. Letitia Clark. She is a council candidate for the city of Tustin, and I will I am going to uh, I've taken sort of the um, the prerogative of. She is the only Tustin candidate I am going to have on Ask a Leader during this electoral season. She is challenging uh, mostly incumbents. They have a record that's known there, and so I thought this would be an opportunity for Community Radio to bring a candidate out for people's perusal. So that's why I'm doing that. So I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. So um, I'd like to know then... um, that, and you've made a great case for the timing and that kind of thing. So, what are you learning from your constituents
2: as you're campaigning? Yeah, you, you know that's probably been the highlight, and everyone always. Oh, everybody me, you know, says that,
0: and they're stumped. Yeah.
2: So well, what, specific. You know, why in the world would you get into politics? Where, ah. You know, you have so much going for yourself. Why right. Do you do <laughs> so, um, but you know, as as hard as it is to run, and and as time consuming as it is. One of the highlights is talking to the residents and hearing, you know, that people aren't apathetic, that they really do care about their communities, especially locally. You know, people may be apathetic about the presidential um, race or, you know, even the Senate or whatnot, but but here in, in Tustin, they really do care. And so a few resounding things that I hear, um, communication is a huge thing for people. They don't feel like they're being um, looped into the process. Of what's going on in local government it feels like you know it's it's a club or you know unless you're an insider you really kind of don't know the ins and outs of what's going on and so not only do I want to expound upon the communication increase and strengthen the communication that goes on from City Hall to residents but it's kind of time for us to move into the next um, you know age and we need to be more innovative with we can do push notification, text messages. We can be emailing people daily with with different types of updates about road closures and construction and new developments and events. This is a big um, town. We have 200 nonprofits in the city of Tustin. There are so many things to support and 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 get behind and you know we can the city can have a role in making sure that people know what's going on um i I think that the city needs to be on twitter and we need to be on social media and we need to reach people where they are uh it it feels very antiquated in that way you know we still receive a hard copy magazine um all the custom residents and all of the things that are going on in testing, that comes out once a month, or it may come out less than that. But to me, that's just one way of communicating to our residents. We need things that are more timely. People are used to getting, you know, information on their phones, and, uh, you know, we we live broadcast all of the city council meetings and the, all the commission meetings, but we could live stream those as well. On, on the website, the city should have a, an app. So communication is huge for me not oh, just that's in you. that's your the, profession. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, and I can really bring a lot of resources and tools that will bring us to that that next stage. And so um, but not just theoretically and you know just transparency and things like that but really bringing us to the next age and making sure that people are looped in and and for those who are apathetic in the city that's going to decrease apathy and it's going to increase Civic engagement, because when people feel included, when they really know what the city council um, has authority over, then they're going to be more compelled to reach out to their city council members, get to know their city council members, and um, include them on on yes. some of their concerns. Yes. So you know, Clark, in the city,
0: sorry, so it sounds like you're maybe more the public information campaign than maybe giving it to the constituents and the then maybe they have for you. I just want to for the last question here, uh, where is the major share of your campaign's financial support coming from?
2: Oh, well, you know, it's really broad, but um the firefighters have been a great support. Um, a lot of the women's groups and um, some of the the unions have have been in support, but you know, I probably have the campaign out of all of the candidates who have the the largest amount of contributions as far as different people. You know, they're in small amounts, but they're from so hundreds of people. And so you're not going to find just a lot of groups um, donating to my campaign. It's individuals in the community giving $25, $50, $100, because that's what they can afford and that's what, you know, they can contribute, and so I've taken pride in having hundreds of donors, even small amounts, okay. um, to really help.
0: Well, I thank you. I know that you've, you're holding. You're the you're multi multitasking in life here with the tw- eight-year-old twins the four million years. You've got yeah. the your, your job and a campaign. And I I forgot to say this to Melissa Fox, but and I'll remember to say it to Courtney Santos at the, the last candidate. I'll say to you too, I not only do I thank you for the time in the interview, but I, I thank every candidate for uh-huh. taking the time and putting out all this effort to campaign. It just is, it is only a steep hill. So thank you yeah. for doing that. That's all the time we have. I've just well, thanks, been talking Claudia. with Ms. Leticia Clark For the City of Tustin Council. And uh, take care. We'll be right back with Courtney Santos and find out what she's got to say about her campaign in the City of Irvine. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. That's Chicoria, and that was Waltz for Abbey Track. My next and the last guest for this program today is Ms. Courtney Santos and she is a native of Orange County. She attended Braille High School. She completed undergraduate work in English and at Community College in Riverside and UC Irvine, and a Master's in Fine Arts and Creative Writing at UC Riverside. She's a writing specialist at the Center for Excellence in Writing Communication, right here on this campus, and a scholarship advisor for the Scholarship Opportunities Program. And I'm gonna race through this. Uh, I, there's a number of parts of her aspects with the di- digital media. She ha- has experience with event planning, grant writing, budget planning, and tracking for approximately $9 million in funding. Currently, she is a resident of West Park. Courtney attends Mariner's Church in Irvine, blogs recipes for food allergies, and participates in political activism through Facebook groups, at peace rallies, and Occupy events. Standing out in the Orange County burbs, she is a lifelong public transit user. She joins me right now in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Courtney Santos.
3: Good morning, Claudia. Thank you for having me.
0: So good to have you. Tell us how your previous experience informs you about holding municipal office, a leap off of the creative writing and digitizing here.
3: Well, first of all, I have about 10 years of work experience here at UCI, and um, that's in the public sector. Uh, It allows me to understand how budgeting and being mindful of taxpayer money is a really critical thing for public servants. I also have been serving students for several years, as you mentioned, and that has given me great insight into the challenges faced by millennials uh, here in Orange County. Uh, And the concerns that they have as they're entering the workforce and also the housing markets here as well. I myself uh, have been a renter pretty much my whole life. I uh, had a single mom growing up, and we shared a one-bedroom apartment here in Orange County, uh, which was extremely challenging, as you might imagine. Yeah, I think Uh, so yes and so i have a real concern for the people who are at the lowest end of the income spectrum and for young people who are trying to make their way in an increasingly less affordable place
0: so affordable housing is
3: part of the mix
0: of the mixed use of the next development orders are going to roll down and the city council candidate has to have all their ducks in a row to negotiate with the developer so what is your vision for the village plan mixing uses and incorporating, leveraging a, an element of affordable housing in those new development orders.
3: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because Irvine is right now updating its general plan for 2035, uh, so really the next 20 years of development, and they're considering different land uses. We already have a mixed-use neighborhood in the Irvine business complex, which is a currently where most of the new residential development uh, that is multi-story projects, multi-family uh, apartment complexes and condos is going in. Everything's multi, but the multi-use, though,
0: we're, sa- we're, we're starting to, as Melissa Fox is talking about, there's a mm-hmm. dwindling commercial commercial component there, which creates more problems?
3: That's definitely true. Um, I would like to look at cities that are doing this extremely well, like Portland, where they are integrating residential, retail, and commercial uses, putting people living near their workplaces, uh, but still giving them somewhat of a suburban feel and a family feeling. Uh, I think those are critical things for Irvine to maintain. Uh, However, I don't see anything wrong with having, instead of two-story apartment complexes, three or four stories, as long as we're dealing with the traffic impact. And we need to deal with that again, similarly to some of the cities like Portland uh, that are offering a lot of connectivity to bike trails, uh, access to public transit. We already have public transit, but it's not necessarily well planned for Irvine. And I would really like to work with the developers to make sure that, you know, the places that we're asking people to board the bus are comfortable and that incentives are being offered, not just through workplaces, which many of them like UCI uh, have some sort of incentive program, but also the apartment complexes. Why can't we reach people right there at their home and incentivize them to try the bus or try walking and biking to work make public transit great again (laughs) (laughs) definitely (laughs) Uh, uh, since I am a public transit user I'm very familiar with how that would work Um, but I want to see more people doing the same so
0: tell us then what are you learning as you campaign what are you learning from constituents
3: well, as I mentioned, traffic is a big concern for many people. That seems to be the one point of skepticism about development. Um, I'm also seeing that there's kind of a split between some of the older residents who are really anti-development. They want to see more single-family sprawl. Uh, that's maybe not my demographic. Um, I appreciate their concerns, but I have to think about what Irvine's going to be like in 20 years when my peers are still raising a family and new people are coming in. So I want Irvine to stay economically competitive and have a talented workforce, uh, which is going to be composed of young people. And so I have to listen to them as well and balance those concerns. Uh, The young people are very concerned about affordability. Many of them know that they will never be able to buy a house here unless something changes, and they want to be able to afford their rents. Um, in addition we have uh, a wide variety of religious and cultural demographics in the city which I am extremely proud of and hopeful to maintain but again that comes down to making sure that Irvine is affordable and accessible to everyone
0: so how would you negotiate you're on the city council and you got a development order and how how would you incentivize that affordable housing and get that commitment because that is an elusive piece of these
3: previous development orders that have been approved by the city. Sure, that's true. Um, Right now, there's a mandate to include about 10% affordable units or pay an in-lieu fee. Uh, In some parts of the city, that has been done. Um, Some have even gone up to 15%. I believe Five Points had to add a few more affordable units to their new developments by the Great Park in order to have a density bonus. So that's something you look at is, can we make concessions to the developer and reach a point of compromise with them? Um, I don't demonize the developers, but I'm also not funded by any of them. So I'm coming at this from the point of view of, what are you going to do for Irvine that's positive for us, and you know how can we have this conversation in more of a new neutral way. I think a lot of people have um, become angry or emotional about it, but we need to proceed logically. And I'm looking at the research and the research says that urban planning is changing right now and millennials want walkable mixed use neighborhoods. So if I can get a developer to have that discussion, uh, micro apartments, tiny houses, what can we do to, you know, appeal to the demographic that is coming into Irvine now, these young professionals? Courtney Santos,
0: you mentioned the millennial uh, wish for that kind of walkable, uh, you know, availability of of other uses approximate to our residents. But when I hear people that are doing quality of life focused groups with seniors, they want that too, though. They want to be on top of each other for a sort of an informal safety net. So are you finding you're reaching out to seniors? Are you, I mean, just like it's maybe more
3: demographics that are interested in these features? In some ways, uh, I'm seeing some parallels with seniors. Um, They do uh, want to downsize their housing very frequently. Uh, They want to have it be wheelchair accessible um, and make sure that they're near hospitals, near retail and grocery stores. Food security is also a huge problem for uh, seniors. They're on a fixed income, and here in Orange County, we have hundreds of thousands of people who need to use the food bank resources and other programs. Which means that there's just not enough to go around. And so, again, if I can work with developers not only to provide affordable housing that qualifies for vouchers or other kind of income restrictions, but really market-rate housing, enough of it that we're close to meeting demand, and the rents don't keep rising at seven to ten percent a year. Um, Then I see that as a valuable thing for seniors as well. Yes.
0: Now, when Melissa Fox was in here, we were talking about this marketplace. This housing marketplace is an international one that it seems like for me that the horse has left his way out of the barn. We're not going to see any um, market rate means an accelerating valuation of all residences. So how would you address that?
3: Well, in terms of the market rate housing, it's really a supply and demand issue. So, if you have enough supply, then But we're talking about there is a we're selling, I it's been clear to me now for the last
0: 3 years that housing is being put on the Beijing kiosks, the, the real estate units. So, it's it's that that's that kind of a demand is kind
3: of inordinately high. It does seem to be recently. I know that China is cracking down on people moving money out of the country. um, And so that dynamic is starting to slow a bit in San Francisco and other major cities in the US, including Irvine. Uh, They are primarily interested in housing for purchase rather than housing for rent. Um, And we do have a demographic that's about half renters now here in Irvine. I don't feel like the renters have as much of a voice in local affairs. And that's one thing that I want to be a part of um, as a renter myself. But also, I really want to make sure that uh, we have that diversity and that tolerance and respect, which I think is maybe not always coming across in the discussions about housing or any kind of development. Uh, People are nervous when the demographics of their neighborhood changes. Uh, I am not, and I want to make sure that people know that everybody has the same concerns. Everybody wants good schools. Everybody wants open space. One-third of our city is open space. Those are things that I want to maintain, and I want to provide entertainment options at the Great Park that make this space uh, attractive to everyone as well.
0: That. We've covered the Great Park in a lot of different ways, and I haven't made that a sort of the 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 recurrent question because I... Um, wanted to because that that speaking of horses out of the barn that that is so decided now and it's it's sort of bitter fruit to go back to but so i'm not using that as any kind of a litmus for listeners to to gauge public policy because it's there's there's nothing more we can do with uh leverage in that so um i'd like to know you alluded very fleetingly to your campaign financing where is the major share of your campaign financial support coming from
3: Court, I am entirely self-funded. Uh, I d- am not taking money from residents or developers or anyone else. No, I mean, only you? Just me. So can I ask what kind of size budget that is? It's very small, as you might imagine. Uh, we recently reduced the candidate ballot statement fee uh, to $500. That was actually my idea. I approached the council about that, and they were supportive of allowing self-funded candidates to have a voice in this race. Well. That's quite the statement. So the, this, this, there is no symmetry
0: in what, what your opponents have available. And I could name the ones that are not even campaigning. They simply have consultants running their entire campaign and that, the kind of money that means. So I think it's, very, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting feature of your campaign.
3: Thank you. So do you have any pet projects?
0: As we close,
3: Uh, pet projects other than the housing issue, I am really, really supportive of civil liberties efforts. Uh, The national conversation that we're having about policing is a part of Irvine's conversation. I've participated in some events recently that were actually brought about by the faith community and the police themselves uh, in order to uh, support. Um, you know, having a positive community policing atmosphere. I'd really like to establish a citizen's police advisory board and keep that dialogue going. Again, it's an issue of diversity and making sure that we understand that we're having good cross-cultural communication and also good communication across the social classes. So much of civil liberties restrictions uh, fall on you know, people of m- vulnerable minorities and also uh, people who are low-income. Um, and so I want to see those dynamics changing for the better. Okay. Well, you have all been
0: listening to Irvine City Council candidate Courtney Santos. She's an employee here with uh, UC Irvine and an and Anteater alum. And uh, I don't know if you have any closing statements, because I, I don't see the, uh, the DJ here yet. But we, um, So you have a, a minute more to wind down, with, feed it
3: to our listeners but <laughs> about your campaign. Thank you so much, Claudia. I'm just really looking forward to providing a voice for renters on the council, uh, for young people. I want to support economic freedom and civil liberties, and I'm very honored to ask for your vote. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for running for public office. It's a huge uphill thing and all that
0: disposable income that you might've had all seems to go into this campaign and maybe loans, so Courtney (laughs) Santos, thank you for coming to to Ask a Leader today. Thank you again, great show, Claudia. Oh, oh, well, thank you. Well, announcements, Uh, do I need to remind anyone to register to vote at this point? The vice presidential debate starts tonight, uh, that's Pacific time, at six o'clock. That was my wrap today. Next week, we'll hear from more candidates. Marianne Guido running for mayor of Irvine, as well as come to terms with dark money in local campaigns. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.